We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. And welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Paul and Tim will be discussing the 2-1 victory at home to Leicester City. Yes, thank you, Danny Welbeck. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much, because um, having enjoyed an ending like that to a game in a long time. A last-minute winner is always, always the best way to win a game. I have a young family, right? I watch the game at home, and sometimes, you know, when you've got a young family, you've got to sort of control your emotions a bit. There are times when it's out of your control. When Wilbur scored, I went crazy. I was roaring like an animal. I turned around eventually, and they all had rather confused looks on their faces. We're now two points behind Leicester. Um, it could have been eight points, which is quite scary. It might have been over by that point, but we've turned it around. Some tough games coming up. At least we're getting players back on the pitch now, and uh, hopefully we can start picking up our form as well. Uh, slight improvements recently, but there's still a bit to do. We're not clicking as we as we can. Players like Alexis can get back into um, his best form, then you never know. We've got a chance. So let me hand you over to the guys, and I'll be back after the whole City match. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision podcast. Today it's just me and Timmy. Timmy! And uh, Elliot and James aren't available. James is busy being James. And Elliot, well, Elliot has his reasons, something about a hotel room in Miami, poor internet connection. But I think we all know the real reason he's not on the pod today. So, with little further ado, on with the pod. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. 
I'm not sure what to make of that. I think I say that before every game, but in th- this game in particular, I really don't know what to make of it. But um, your boy Danny, you seem pretty yeah. <laughs> seem to get quite of enjoyment out of of Danny. I think you had the you caught, picked up on that shrug of the shoulders. <laughs> they gave. Uh, I only found out about the uh, him getting a card because of uh, your tweet on that. So did you yeah. see it live or yeah, you saw yeah. it on the internet? Yeah, yeah, no, I saw it live because um, I, I sit right next to the centre circle. So, like, when they're all walking back, you know, I have I have a great view of everything. It's all kind of down below me. So, yes, I saw I saw it in real time. It was just absolutely classic. I mean, this is a guy. <laughs> I think I'm right in saying we've gone past the. Um, there's been like a an amnesty on the five yellow card thing. Now, I think I'm right in saying that. So, you need ten yellow cards for a suspension. So basically, Danny Welbeck, not only are you not going to get sent off when you've just been booked in the 94th minute, but he needs another nine yellow cards in the last 12 games for that to have any effect whatsoever. So even if that was going through his mind at the time, I just loved, I just loved the... Did you ever see that Friends episode where um, the, the Joey doesn't share food um, episode and... Um, He's going on a date with this girl, and she keeps trying to nick some of his food, and he's you know won't have it. <laughs> and then there's a scene at the end where she walks off and leaves her dessert, and he eats it. And she comes back, and he just says, "I'm not even sorry." And it just it just looked exactly <laughs> like that. It was just I I really really don't care. It was just a classic reaction. Yeah. Um, really, he should have booked like yeah. five or six yeah, yeah, players. Yeah. Yeah, he could have Not easily. Just the one. And and you know, Ramsey had already been booked, and he went in there. Um, yeah. So you know, it could, he could have been red carded. It, it could well have been as well. I mean, it, I think it just exposes what stupid rule it is, really. Um, but, it is, yeah. But there you go. Um, but it, it was it was absolutely fantastic, and um, I I really really I've been thinking, you know, the last few days, I can't remember a goal at the Emirates like that. I really really can't. There have been some, you know, some big ones, some important ones, some brilliant ones, and the rest of it. I can't remember going that mad over any goal um, that we've scored in that stadium. The only one I could search for, really, was um, Omri against Manchester United, similar sort of time in the game. But we weren't really going for anything that season, so it was nice in isolation, but it didn't feel like it had a wider meaning. Whereas this, you know, hopefully this will, obviously we don't know yet, but... It, it kind of felt like it, you know. Um, and even when yeah. when Urza, when Mesut was spotting up the free kick, John, who I sit with, he just said to me, whole season on this free kick, which, um, you know, I, I, I feel was a little bit overstating the case, but it wasn't far off. Um, and, you know, it was, it was yeah. just absolutely, I, I just can't remember leaping up and down quite like that for any goal at the Emirates. Um it, it really felt it felt huge, and um, I think there was a lot that went into it as well. There's some frustration with you know some of Leicester's tactics. Um, you know, I, I, I thought there was quite a lot of kind of rotational fouling and things like that. But but, but stuff that that good teams do that perhaps we don't sometimes. Um, yeah. Although that said, you know, like I was saying, I get a really good view of when the players go back for centre afterwards. <clears throat> And Ramsey had the ball under his arm, and he just launched it into into our half. Um, and the re- and the referee didn't spot it for ages. Um, and then like Monreal sheepishly had to go and like 
go and retrieve it under the steely gaze of the referee and, you know, rolled it very, very gently to the centre circle. So, you know, there, there was, a, a, you know, perhaps a little bit of, finally, a little bit of kind of quite welcome game. Professionalism. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, you know... Well, uh, and I know, I know that's one of your favourite topics and it kind of yeah. occurred to me in this game. Uh, we saw with the Lexus appealing for that yellow card and yeah. then Giroud violently. Yeah. You know, I wonder if as this season gets from the you know, good performances, trying to get the team to where it is, to the last 10 or so games trying to close this thing out, if we don't see a whole level of competitiveness and professionalism, that we have the luxury, or at least in our own minds, of not indulging in for for the the first two-thirds of the season. Um, Mm. You know, they played yesterday, or not yesterday, but they played against Leicester like their lives depended on it. And in a football sense, maybe they did, not to be too dramatic. But, Mm. you know, we also discussed uh, must-win games, and you said every game's a must-win game. And I kind of agree with that. But some some are must-winnier than others, and this was an absolute... I think we might have made rationales for why... A draw would have been a bad result, but not lethal. But it mm. probably was lethal, especially after Spurs. Somehow that Spurs result was a big result too. Yeah. And it's it just you, you look back on this weekend, and if we just got a draw against Leicester, uh, it feels like it would have been curtains to me. Yeah. Yeah. If if we'd have drawn this, then you're looking at the game, particularly at White Hart Lane, in a couple of weeks, and then you're saying that's a a must win. Um, Whereas yeah. now, I mean, depending on how the next result, the next two results go before that, because a lot can change. But now you're looking at it and thinking, well, yeah, a, you know, a draw wouldn't be, wouldn't be too bad. Wouldn't though. be terrible. No, exactly. We could we could live with that. Um, you know, if the table looks similar to what it does now, um, yeah. Whereas otherwise, you'd be putting yourself under massive pressure to to have yeah. to go and win that. And um, yeah, there was there was a real sense in the stadium when that that went in. I, I think we all knew it how significant um, that that was, and I think you're right. I, you know, I, I was thinking to myself in the last couple of minutes, you know, well, a draw, uh, you know, with five points behind Leicester, I still think, and I know I've, I've been saying this for a few months, like everyone else, I I still don't think that Leicester would quite have the stones to see this out. Um, and I stand to be proven wrong, of course, but I think they've already proved me pretty massively wrong anyway. Yeah, um, but they were bloody good, weren't they? They, they were like, you know, they worked. Uh, like I, I thought. I think you're right. I, I thought Arsenal played very well. It was a very good performance. Yeah, all the way through. I thought we looked really up for it. But Leicester fight you for every single millimeter they absolutely scrap for everything i you know i've rarely yeah. seen a team work i've seen some really hard working teams and i think there are a few in the premier league now um there are a few very fit teams um but that i mean they were absolutely tooth and nail for every single second and every single ball and you know if we'd have been anywhere below our kind of physical, you know, if we hadn't been up to it physically, we'd have been really, really punished. And, you know, the, the red card really <laughs> was was the only yeah. thing that separated the teams physically. Um, 
certainly, because the first half, I, I thought, you know, we were pretty much on top, but without really getting in behind them too often. Although their line yeah. looked quite high in the first half, and I started to wonder to myself, well, maybe was Theo a better selection than Giroud here? But mm. uh, the, the way the game ended up turning out, Giroud was the absolute perfect selection, really, and they dropped deeper. Yeah. And it, you know, it was. Uh, I, I thought overall, I thought it was a fantastic game. I thought it was very, very worthy of the billing. Um, you know, two very, very good teams, really, really fighting. Um, whereas often these games, you know, yeah, like um, I think of like Chelsea Man U games from the last five six years, and they're, they're just unbelievably dull. Um, whereas this, yeah. was, this was a real blood and thunder. It was a cracker. It was a yeah, yeah, yeah. Even from the neutral point of view, and as much as you know, I on one hand I didn't enjoy Leicester's some of Leicester's tactics. I'll say you know they weren't they weren't completely you know, beyond the pale, but <clears throat> I thought there was quite a bit of gamesmanship in there. But then there's a part of me that thinks, well, that's possibly like a very small part of the reason why they're up there with the big boys now, because they're playing with the gloves off. Um, and that's, that's you know, how many times have we spoken about that on this podcast? That's, that's what the big boys yeah. do. They play with the gloves off. Um, and interestingly, for once, it was their undoing, the rotational yeah. fouling, because... You can say Simpson, you know, he was on. It was a soft red. A lot of people have said that, but it's the flip coin of rotational fouling. I, I think interestingly as well, you know, we talk about all the play up in Alexis's corner. Yeah. Uh, I joked about moving the midfield there from the last game, yeah. but maybe one of the benefits, one of the accidental benefits, was they rotationally fouled in the one area. Yeah. over uh, five or six minutes. So it was the same guys who picked up the fouls. If if we'd been moving it around the pitch more than that, it might have been the right back, then the left back, then the midfielder. But we had, you know, so much shit going through the left-hand side kind of showed up the yeah. rotational fouling mentality and they got caught out. Maybe the referee didn't quite realize before he made up his mind that, that it was a yellow, which it was, yeah. that it was the same, you know, I, I personally I wouldn't did. be very good. Yeah, I don't think I'd be very good at remembering who I'd already booked. No, no. Um, so I'd be a classic. Oh shit! I didn't. I just book you. Oh fuck! Oh well. Yeah, all right, it's a red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And and on your point, you know about Alexis um, again because I'm I'm planning to write about that this this week. I, I looked up some of the, the passing combos, top three um, in the game, not yeah. just Arsenal. Ramsey to Alexis, yep. Monreal to Alexis, Ozil to Alexis. Top three passing yep. combos. Top three from the Bournemouth game, Ozil to Alexis, Monreal to Alexis, Alexis to Ozil. Top three yep. from Southampton, Ozil to Alexis, Monreal to Alexis. I mean, you're seeing a theme here, aren't you, really? Yeah. Um, and, I, and if I remember right, the fourth uh, combination might be r- like Ramsey to Monreal. Yes, or Monreal to Ramsey, which, yeah. Which is basically the same thing, yeah. you know. He, uh, Alexis has sucked them into his corner, and when they don't pass to him, they pass to each other. And if you look at Ramsey's hot spot on the pitch, it's right where you'd expect him to be, kind of as the connective tissue to that triangle up in that corner. So, kind of fascinating. But you, you touch on selection. So, yeah. the, I'd done my 
11-man pick before the game. I think th- my major difference was Oxlade-Chamberlain. Mm. I decided I'd play Campbell there to give Bellerin some cover along that wing because that's where all the trouble was going to come with with Vardy and they were going to target per Mertesacker and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And so I would have played Campbell. And if you look at the first 30 minutes... Oxlade-Chamberlain kind of runs riot there on a regular basis, getting in behind. And I'm thinking, actually, this is kind of an inspired choice. Mm. Uh, he gave them conniptions, three, f- uh, I counted four really good crosses that unfortunately we didn't bury but could have. Um, and then the, other, the flip side of that is Per Mertesacker wasn't in trouble once in that 90-something minutes. Which is amazing, uh, uh, and I'm still. T- uh, and when you look at their heat maps, everything goes down the right hand. Yeah. Th- their uh, their right hand wing, even Vardy does most of his attacking from that side. Not not exclusively, but almost everything goes. What was your reading on a the selection, especially mm. looking from from that point standpoint, and b that you know of all the fullbacks to target. I understand Mares kind of has that Alexis attraction to him, but Monreal got the attention, and I, I thought he had a really good game apart from the the two almost penalties. But mm. I think that's what those two players do to you. Yeah. Kind of talk us through. There's a few aspects in there. Take your pick out of that. Okay. Well, I even before the injury to Gabriel, I wanted Perma Saka to start, and. Um, the reason was exactly borne out because so long as Mertesacker, and I think he's an intelligent enough guy to know, particularly after what happened for the first goal at Leicester, um, as long as he didn't get himself into a position where he was in a foot race, um, I just don't think it was a problem. And he didn't. And uh, what you saw was exactly what I wanted to see, which was, you know, Koscielny in the first half, and then Chambers, who I thought did brilliantly in the second half, I was yeah. terrified of, um, yeah. of, of, but I thought he was absolutely excellent. And what, and what you had was you just had Pear sitting back and not getting himself into a position where he was going to be outpaced. So he let his centre back partner get in the foot race with Vardy, and it's just well, do you know what? If if you can't win it and he beats you, I'm here. And then, you know, it's not a matter of pace anymore. He has to get round me. Um, and, you know, Vardy's going to murder Mertesacker in a foot race. But in a one-on-one, maybe not so much. That's not as much Vardy's speciality as is not beating people with the ball at his feet. So I wanted that to happen, mm. even irrespective of Gabriel's fitness. And I thought it absolutely bared out that way. Um, and, you know, Bellerin, I think, certainly before the sending off, was quite a bit more conservative. Um, the yeah. reason for Chamberlain, I think, is because the thing is with Joel Campbell, he was giving us a nice balance because he's quite tidy with the ball. The problem is, since Alexis has come back, as we've said in the last few games, everything is going to the left-hand side. So on the few occasions it does come to the right, and actually if you look at a lot of our goals recently, um, they've been A, like we were saying after the Bournemouth podcast, been quite direct. They've been crosses. They've been knockdowns. It's um, it's not vengable quite. It's quite direct. But B, um, Joel Campbell's use as a kind of as a counterbalance is lessened when so much of the play is going down the left. 
to the few times it comes to the right, we need somebody who can do something on his own, um, i.e. beat a yeah. player and get a cross in. Whereas Joel Campbell looks to make connections, he likes one-twos, which is great, but if everybody is 40 yards over the other side of the pitch and he's left on his own, I, you know, it just it doesn't have yeah. as much use. There's no combo to be had there, and he can't really beat players, whereas Chamberlain, as kind of erratic as he can be, at least if you leave him on his own with the ball, you know he can go and take the full back on and then get across him. Um, yeah, so I, and co- and conversely with Leicester, uh, obviously their tactic is to sit deep yeah. and and in this the centre, and they give you the wings, yeah. and they gave Oxide Chamberlain the wing, and he kind of tore them a new one for a while. Uh, it was also interesting, you know, of the games of the teams you would think you would play against, where giving them lots of crosses wouldn't help them. Arsenal would be kind of your primary candidate for, oh, we can let the ha- them have the wings. They won't do that much with it um, in terms of crosses and aerial bombardments. And yet we won practically every every header. I think uh, uh, um, so in the breakdown, Adrian Clark did his thing. Yeah. And pretty much his man of the match was Giroud. I thought he was excellent. Yeah. I thought headers, obviously it was, there was the knockdown for Theo's goal, which was, you know, the only word is deft. Yeah. Um, but with what, he, you know, you can criticize him for lots of stuff, but for what he has in his locker, he did all, all of it to the nth degree. I thought he was absolutely superb, aggressive. You know, Huth is a monster, but... Uh, he was absolutely matched by Giroud yeah. uh, all through that game. Well, but it did seem like they laid off the, the wings to us. And on the one hand, we kind of we camped over there with Alexis and they, put a, they did put a lot of focus on him. But it did give us, you know, if you look at where the, the goals came from with Bellerin and the crosses and the amount of time he had to put it in, that was the gamble they took. And in the end, it didn't pay off. Yeah, exactly. We, we put in 50 crosses. Um, in this game, yeah. compare that to Liverpool away a few weeks ago, six crosses. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got the numbers here, actually. 16 against Stoke, yeah. 22 against Chelsea, 33 against Southampton. So they're starting to creep up because we're coming a, becoming a little bit more direct. Um, yeah. And welcome back, Danny Welbeck, too. Exactly. And, they're, they're, and I suppose we get on to this. Um, we're going through the game slightly chronologically, but I think one of the things that happened yeah, as well, slightly, that the moment Wenger decided to put Welbeck on, I saw it um, clearly, was when Monreal put a cross in and Giroud was on his own in the box. Yeah, and Wenger yeah. obviously thought, right, we need another player in the box um, to you know make these crosses a bit more worthwhile. The other thing that happened was, I think Ranieri's substitutions after the red card mm. played absolutely into Arsenal's hands because he took off Mares and Okazaki in quick succession. He should have kept one of those guys on. Um, probably, I can understand why he takes Mares off. O- Okazaki is a really hard worker, plays off the body brilliantly. The second he takes both of those players off, then it was it was hog heaven for the fullbacks, you know, <laughs> that, you know, they, yeah. they were absolutely, they had no defensive responsibility whatsoever anymore because it was just like, right, we leave Chambers back, we leave Pear back, they'll deal with Vardy and there's no other threat around him. And that meant that Monreal in particular could just, you know, 
play like Roberto Carlos just didn't even have to worry about being in his own half at any point. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, those, and, and that obviously played into us going down the left a lot more. That played us into us getting more crosses in. And, uh, yeah, I, I watched the breakdown with Adrian. And I, you know, I thought he made the point very, very well that Arsenal from the very first minute, um, you know, when Ozil went down the right, were, were more than content. Mm. And um, we, we've seen it a lot over the years with Arsenal where teams have this tactic to force us out wide because, you know, we like to build play through the centre usually. Well, actually, um, what the last four or five games show you is that Arsenal are absolutely not bothering to build through the centre anymore. When you look at the passing combos, and like I say, I've, I've been looking this stuff up because I'm writing about it, um, there's no, there's very, very little centre-back to centre-midfielder going on and centre-midfielder to, you know, it, it's not going yeah. through the centre, it's centre-back to winger, centre-back to full-back, getting everything over to Alexis. It's all about going wide. And actually what, what we've kind of done, particularly in this game, is turn you know, turn what our opponents often deem to be a big weakness for us. And we've gone and turned it into a strength. And again, that's another reason why Chamberlain would have played, um, because he likes to stay nice and wide to that touchline. Um, yeah. And if that's where Wenger thought the space was, then... And also... I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Adrian again on the Arscast on Friday when he was previewing the game. He said that um, Leicester don't have many weaknesses in their back four, but Danny Simpson is possibly the weakest link in the chain. Mm. Um, and that being the case, getting the ball to Alexis to take him on at every opportunity was was probably a deliberate tactic. And you know, as much as the sending off definitely changed the game. Um, I think there's a large degree to which Arsenal manufactured that situation for themselves because of the way they chose to play and they chose to target him. And obviously that's why. So, you know, I think it wasn't complete felicity for us that they had a player sent off. I think we, we know, we at least to some degree knowingly engineered that situation. Yeah. And you live by the sword, you die by the sword, and their rotation of fouling did them in, so fuck them. Mm. Um, so uh, it, the other interesting thing was on the commentary for the game on Arsenal player, um, Adrian Clark is doing the co-commentary, and as Welbeck comes on, he says, well, the script is written for Danny Welbeck, so I think pretty prescient. But you can see getting, uh, uh, as we look, over the next X number of games to the close of the season, assuming it goes the way we would want it to do where we're in the chase right to the end and beyond, you can see the situation where we're sending on, if we don't already have both on already, Giroud and Welbeck, Mm -hmm. so that we can put a full court press on so we can get that pressure in there because we've kind of been anemic for a while in terms of closing out games or in terms of chasing... In fact, we've seen games where we've looked good for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes chasing it in the second half, but then just run out of puff. Mm. And here was a game in which we brought on two subs, both scored, both completely different options, but man, does your bench change in a space of a week or two when you look down there. And, you know, Campbell doesn't get on the field... You bring on Welbeck on whatever that was, 82 minutes. You bring on 
uh, Theo on 70 Minutes and Theo's doing his thing as a almost a second striker making you know he makes that little run that picks up the the deft knockdown but actually about 5 seconds before that he makes that exact same run and he trots back to the same position and makes it a second time uh and that's kind of that was his gig the other interesting thing with Theo was he had like something like 30 passes 32 passes or something mm. don't have it in front of me which for Theo in a normal game is actually slightly high, sadly, yeah. but he was only on for 20 minutes, yeah. which maybe tells you just how open the wing was yeah. and how much space they had down there. But, you, you know, you have different options there, different options up front and different combinations of two or three strikers. When we, We're now sending on all the strikers instead of all the full backs. Yeah. If we can keep everybody fit, it augurs well for much more of a Fergie time last 10 minutes as we chase that extra goal in some of these critical matches we're going to face uh, running in towards the end of the season. Yeah. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you alluded to, it's, it's um, what's, what's nice about our selection of strikers. Like, you know, not if, if you're taking, sorry, Giroud, Walcott and Welbeck as our strikers... None of those players sure. are world class, but they're all kind of seven, eight out of ten. But what we've really got in our favour, um, and I think Wenger's built this quite deliberately in lieu of that magic world class striker he really wants, is he's got three very good strikers who've got very different qualities and who bring very different things to the party. And, and you know, how often have we seen this season? The, the kind of Giroud Walcott tag team because either way they present completely different challenges. Um, and actually, Welbeck can, Welbeck's like a nice hybrid between Giroud and Walcott. You yeah. can kind of do a little bit of everything they can do, perhaps not quite as well, but, you know, as we saw, he can get on and get in the air. He can get on the end of knockdowns. He's got a bit of pace. He's got good hold up play. Um, you know, Welbeck's one of those players who doesn't do anything brilliantly but does everything well um whereas you know walcott's probably on the other end of that spectrum in that there's lots of things he's terrible at and there's lots of things he's really good at and you know Giroud has very identifiable qualities and if if you're defense that's a problem because you know how like how do you cope with that varied threat you know do you Go and attack yeah. the striker. Do you play the high line? Do you all sit back? If you know, if there's, if they're giving you different problems, um, then it's very, very difficult to know what to do. And, and actually, you get mentally tired as much as anything, um, trying to overthink it. Whereas, you know, as you say, we've just not had anybody to be. You know, if we'd have been able to do this against Stoke, for example, imagine if we'd have been able yeah. to throw on, you know, have. We, we did a Wobi for Walcott at Stoke because it was all we could do. Um, yeah. And, you know, Joel Campbell played the whole 90 minutes. Imagine if we'd been able to throw on Walcott and Welbeck then. Imagine against Southampton, Welbeck yeah. as well. You know, we might have got, uh, you know, probably in one of those games we'd have got a goal. Maybe not in both of them, but we might have. You never know. So it's 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 definitely. This worth was absolutely play. going to be a Southampton type finish yeah. where we battered them. We had a bunch of chances. Uh, now it does speak to the other issue at the moment, which is 
finishing of chances or if you want to look at the statistics, the XG thing, I think part of it is because our XGs, I know it takes account of various factors, but we do tend to be facing a lot of players in the box when we're taking our shots. I mean, yeah. Giroud had a a beautiful blast. I think, was that a, that wasn't the scissors kick, but it was something pretty acrobatic uh, just towards the end that uh, Schmeichel got a brilliant save on. Yeah. Um, he's To me, Giroud's doing all the right things. He hasn't had a goal for a little while. It doesn't seem to have impacted his confidence. I, I think he's doing very well. I think he's playing great. I think he's doing all the assists and the knockdowns and, and he's aggressive. But somehow... Uh, and it's not his fault over the course of the season. We're not putting anything like our share of the the uh, opportunities away when you look across Theo, who's definitely been a culprit. Mm. Um, you, Alexis is coming back now. Yeah. But, he's you, shooting you know, he's, he, yeah, he's, he takes a lot of shots. So that doesn't, you know, when we, when, just from a stats standpoint, Alexis doesn't help because he takes lots of shots and hasn't, fucking buried anything um but i still don't feel he's mi- i i guess he's missed a few really takeable chances uh but not a huge bunch um ramsey is definitely he had two or three in this game where he could have buried one of those in, yeah. in former times yeah the chances it was very southampton the chances chances were there but we're not taking them and thank god thank god theo uh, woke up and took his, and then welcome back, Danny. You know, this could be one hell of an end of a season for Danny. I know he's mm-hmm. missed most of it, and this was a pretty emotional day for him. You could see him afterwards being interviewed and talking about his family there. But he could have one hell of an end to a season, uh, and and really be the player that kind of made the difference for us in these critical. I mean, he may well end up starts starting very soon. Mm. But, I mean, he could be absolutely critical as we close out these games. Absolutely. I think what this goal does for him, I mean, we, you know, we should keep our expectations in check a little bit as to how sharp he's going to be for the next few games still. But what this does... Yeah, because he, he had that kind of a scissor kick where he yeah. blasted it into ground. He wasn't even... You know, that, I think that's his first shot went back. So, yeah. Like you say, a lot of rustiness there. Yeah, and that's that's going to continue um, for you know at least a few games. But what this does is it kind of relaxes him back into things, so that if you know, I think he'll probably start against Hull on Saturday, and then after that, I'd expect mm. another three or four sub appearances before we think of starting him again. And what this does is it just relaxes him back into things, and and actually goals like this they buy you. A little bit of goodwill from others and, you know, for yourself in terms of if he doesn't score for the next three or four games, he's still got that one in his locker. Um, and that counts yeah. for a lot. You know, like Freddie Lundberg is a great example in terms of actually for the, his first 18 months at Arsenal, he was well off. He was well off the pace. Um, it really took him a long time to adjust. But he scored on his debut versus Man United. And that buys you a lot of time and a lot of goodwill. Um, and yeah. you know this it, if he doesn't really make another significant contribution for another month or so this is very much in his locker um, and, yeah. and, and I think that counts for a lot not just because of what other people think of him but I, in terms of his his 
own self-esteem, um, if that makes sense. That that just helps him think, right, yeah. I'm a part of this, and actually I'm a significant part. Um, and just, yeah, just relaxes him back into his stride a little bit, I think. Yeah. No, I think that's right. So we haven't talked about the midfield, but we definitely need to. So we started with Coquelin this time mm. in the Flamini spot. Um, how do you think Coquelin and Ramsey did? Um, I, yeah, I thought they were good. I thought they were good. I thought um, both of them very alive to Leicester's threat. Um, Coquelin, you know, took a cynical yellow card in in the first half, which, which you know, that's kind of what he's there for. Um he ended up, I think, getting himself subbed because he'd lost his call a little bit. Now, I don't yeah. know if you saw this on the TV, but as soon as Simpson was sent off, he kind of, he, you know, it's, it's very good in many ways, but he really, you know, he started, he went up to the, the North Bank and he was throwing his arms up, you know, getting everyone mm. G'd up and things like that, which is great, but it did kind of look like he'd lost his head a little bit. And then again, yeah. you know, when Mares was being subbed, I, he was absolutely right yep. to make the point he did, and someone in that team should have made that point, but not him because he'd just been booked. Someone else should have made it, and I know we spoke a few yeah. weeks ago. He just shoved him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then that causes a melee, and he shoves him again, and you've got to be very, very careful um, at that point. Yep. And I know we spoke a couple of weeks ago, and you suggested when I was. Kind of complaining about Arsenal's lack of, uh, or Arsenal being too nice, and you suggested that Coquelin might be the person to amend that. And I, I think we saw a bit of that, but I don't think on a yellow card. I think on a yellow card, you got to pick the moments um, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I, th- I thought he played well. I thought he covered the space very well. I thought Ramsey was very good. Um, other, than, uh, save for his shooting, which which was quite poor actually. Um, but I, I thought he did everything pretty well. Um, again, you know, he was competing well. He was kind of plugging gaps. He was getting forward and supporting. He was just being that all-round midfielder that, that we know he is um, and that he can be. Um, so I, I, I thought those two worked worked pretty well. Um, really, Leicester only really caught us out the once, I think, in the whole game that I can really think of and that, that was maybe twice there was the drink water over to Vardy header yes yeah 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 and that was you know that was a good cross I, th- I think in terms of it like, was it, it was brilliant to be honest yeah and he, he did really well to get up in a brilliant piece of handling by Czech um, superb juggle that on the line in the way he did um, but you know I think they only went through us the once and only really caught us on the counter which is you know their their big strength yeah um, they only did that the once, and, and you know it, it proved to be pretty costly because I ended up scoring. Um, what what did, did you think it was a penalty on uh, on Vardy? <sighs> so uh, I'm maybe a bit odd on these things. Uh, so I guess the direct answer is do, uh, no. I don't think it was a penalty, but I don't think that matters. I think they did what they do with Vardy. I think he took too big a touch which put the ball right where Monreal would snap at it. And it put Vardy off balance and meant that his only way of coming out with the ball was to knock it one way while he went the other way. Uh, I think think he went looking for the penalty. But all day long, those are the situations that Leicester are looking for. And they did it to 
did it to us twice. They did it to Monreal twice. So if it, if it had been us and Oxley chamberlain up the other end, which he's well capable of doing something similar, he has the speed skills and the tendency to go down in the box if he gets a chance, I'd have been fucking fine with it. Yeah. So it, it's like there's the technical aspects and there's the I know people hate this word because it sounds like cheating but did he earn it I kind of think they earned one out of those two penalties yeah I I, I think at the time I was incensed I, I really thought it was a dive I, I still kind of do in that I think he initiated the contact um, however I, I kind of I looked up the rules on this because I just I just wasn't really clear um i suppose and there's something in the directive about um about impeding the progress of an opponent and that doesn't necessarily mean tripping them up it can just mean being in their way um because once you get in their way and you don't get the ball they are under no obligation to run around you they can just run into you and that's it um and they yeah. they did away years ago in 2004, they did away with obstruction in the penalty area. That concept does not exist anymore. Obstruction yeah. in the penalty area is a foul. So there is, he definitely played for it. And I think you can see by the way he goes down, you know, he kicks Monreal's leg to make sure the contact's yeah. there. But if you do look at it and if you like freeze frame it at certain moments, Monreal is in the path of, uh, yeah. in Vardy's path. And that rule does say, you know, if you're impeding the path of the opponent and you don't take the ball, then then it's a penalty. It's, it's one of those very, very blurry lines. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, Vardy, Vardy plays on those. Um, he does. You know, I, I still think, and it may be my Arsenal bias, but I still think there was just a little kind of... And everyone, everyone around, you know, it was on my side of the stadium. Everyone around me and down in the lower tier was incensed. And it was because the way he went down was clearly quite unnatural. And that's because yep. he kind of flipped his leg out a little bit and kicked Monreal and went down. And that's quite obvious when someone does that. But at the same time, like I say, if Monreal, you know, if you stick your foot out and you don't get the ball, then, <clears throat> and you're in the path of the ball, then, you know, it, it can be a penalty. So, um, so uh, I, I think that makes loads of sense. The thing I have against it is that he concocted the situation very cleverly by knocking the ball to his right so that the ball was... Now, you can debate what's in your path or not, mm. but this whole thing only worked because he knocked it, so, he knocked it too far ahead and to stop Monreal getting the ball, he knocked it straight right while he's now off balance so he's tumbling forward so uh, it's just one of those I don't know how you split it but I do know that these are the kinds of you know they've got more penalties than anybody else in the league because they do this this is what they do they they get your full back tied in a knot Mares did it to Monreal and probably the only reason it wasn't a penalty the second time with Mares is because Monreal saw it coming from just having <clears throat> been through this and literally turned his back and ran yeah. away from him. Yeah. And so so at the end of the day it's kind of there's the technical aspects and there's the given the way football is played did they 
play for this and get it and succeed. And you've got to say, this was what they were looking for, tying Monreal in a knot. And and they pulled it off. So, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, Adrian Clark seemed to be fine with it as a penalty. Uh, other people who I respect seem to think it wasn't. Other people are undecided. And I think that kind of tells you it, it's... It's not an exact science, this no, penalty shit. And, um, and then you got the rest. The, you got what you saw at, at full speed and what you saw at replay. And then, mm. you know, it's, um, I don't know how the referee knows. That, and I mean, that's the thing. And this is um, one of the things, I think one of the fundamental things that people misunderstand about um, refereeing decisions. And I, I always dislike that. Oh, but where's the consistency? If, if you yeah. actually sit and read the rules, most of it's down to interpretation and um, yep. this this and so therefore is subjective. Um, and this yep. is this is one of those ones because you know the rules are. If you look at the language, it's fairly vague in most most uh, instances. And again, on this one, you know, first for some people, Monrail is impeding the path to the ball, and therefore it's a foul. To other people, Vardy's just run into him, fall, fallen over, and different referees will see that differently. And that's the reason there's no consistency because there's not supposed to be. Really, so yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things. Um, sometimes you'll get them, sometimes you won't. Um, and Arsenal don't get a lot of penalties because no. I don't think we look for those situations. Yeah, no, agreed. But all right, so we're we're agreed that it was definitely a foul on Özil in the build-up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I guess my feeling on those things, personally, the way I deal with them is I look at them as separate incidences. Yeah. Otherwise, I feel robbed and aggrieved and it upsets me and I can't sleep at night. Cause, yeah. yeah. But uh, Bobby McMahon did an, a good piece in Forbes.com on sliding doors. And he mentions, you know, he starts from that moment, the foul by Wes Morgan, I think it was, on yeah. Ozil. And it, just a series of these sliding door moments through the game. This game was 97 different games, depending on the outcome of all sorts of different moments. Yeah. More more so, I think, than other games. I mean, it changed utterly after the red card, but it also changed after the penalty. But it changed just before that, when Wes Morgan uh, wasn't penalized, and then Leicester do what Leicester do, which is they pounce on those crumbs, yeah. played it brilliantly through our midfield. I mean, how often does Koscielny miss a tackle that yeah. badly yeah. which tells you how how lightning they are as they play through midfield, I mean credit to Leicester yeah. they're going to continue doing this I think all season but maybe we gave other teams the blueprint to how, for how to beat them which is they have two tall centre backs, everybody else is a midget yeah. fucking aerial bombard the shit out of them yeah. um, if you have what it takes Use those wings. I mean, they live and die by the sword with regard to the wings, too. They they want you to play into those wings because now you've pulled your full backs forward and they hit you on the counter, as they kind of did with us. Um, Monreal gets pulled into... He's very unlucky, actually, because he, he actually gets into midfield and intercepts that ball quite strongly. Yeah. But some fucker heads it back uh, up the wing or up up to midfield and then through the wing. Uh, you know, we we so nearly that so nearly didn't happen on a couple of levels. On the other hand, this is what Leicester do all day long, or at least several times a game, and they're fucking ruthless with it. So, absolutely. Uh, but it, but if a few 
clubs can rough them up a bit more in terms of putting in crosses and hurting them that way, maybe that's where the points start to get to drop because that's their vulnerability. They they do better out of that exchange, sacrificing the the wings deep on their side, but maybe teams aren't using it well enough to get in behind. And we certainly, you know, had we put away either of four uh, crosses from Oxlade-Chamberlain along the ground in the first half, you know, Alexis had a great shot that got blocked. He fluffed one. Uh, he got it to Giroud at the near post, but Giroud was well marked. And then there was the one where Ox got in there and cut it across but should have shot. That was in the first two minutes. Um, there's space to be had there, and we should have taken it. But So uh, we talked about the midfield, but the what was your take on Ozil? Um mm. Did he have a great game? Did he have a terrible game? Did he have a terrible game with four or five brilliant moments? Uh, Was it just the fact that they condensed the middle so much that his fruitful starting in the middle and moving out to the right? I mean, there's a great uh, photo uh, doing the rounds on Twitter of Ozo standing with the ball facing their packed center in front of their defense where there's no way round it or through it so he chips it over it I think it's the one where uh, Giroud puts the ball in the back of the net and he's offside by the blink of an eye yes by an ar- by a yard but in reality in terms of timing by the blink of an eye and he probably had three or four of those balls over the top mm-hmm. um, during the game and was it just they they locked him out of the middle, and that's why he didn't look so good. It seemed like they were pouncing on him as if they expected him to do that thing where he dallies on the ball and buys himself time, and they said, fuck it, you're not getting any time. Mm. Yeah, I it, it, this was I, I kind of thought I had Ozil figured out. Um, you know, this kind of, oh, he looks like he's had a bad game, you watch the highlights, he's had a good game, and I didn't feel like that happened to me for a while. Uh, th- that definitely happened to me here because... Um, at, at the time in the stadium, I thought I thought it was poor. I really did. I yeah. thought, um, and I think a lot of that is a symptom of. Um, I used to say this about Chesney when people had a problem with Chesney's distribution. Chesney's distribution was really good. It's just he took a risk, but he'd usually get it right. But because he'd make, he was calmer than everyone in the stadium. And everyone would shit yeah. themselves, but he'd get it right. <laughs> they'd go, "What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing?" But he'd get yeah, it no, absolutely right. I'm 100 percent right. with you on this. And I so never they... understood the level of meltdown on Chesney's distribution. I'm like, yeah. he he's no worse than anybody else, and and often better. So anyway, yeah, he used to go and pick out the fullback, and everyone would go, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" But he'd get it right. But because everyone got stressed, it's almost like a like a mental yeah. trick that they think he lost the ball, but he didn't. It's just they got stressed. And I kind of think this happens with Ozil because what I I kept saying to myself during the game is that I kept just seeing him get hassled off the ball and I was just thinking, you know, because the thing is with Ozil, no matter what's happening, he's playing his way and that's the end of it. Yep. Um, And, you know, I said after the Chelsea game, I was disappointed with him because I don't think he adapted to what the game demanded. Um, and I, that's what I felt at the time in the stadium. I just thought, mate, every single time you get the ball, you've got two of their players at least like up your ass, and you've got to be alive to that. You, you know, this has happened. You've received the ball 30, 40 times, and this has happened. You have to understand you haven't got the time to do, you know, to to kind of mess about with it. And, and actually, it was a lovely move in the first half. 
Uh, I remember pointing this out to the, the guys I was sat with where he did that back heel to Chamberlain next to the touchline. And we were saying, that's it, one touch, because every time he had the ball and Alexis had the ball, they had two players on him at least. And that means that a teammate five or ten yards away is free um, if you've got two on you. And I kept just thinking to myself, to, to both of them, to be fair, I was thinking, if you can just find a way to touch it first time, you've got you've definitely got a teammate free um, at close proximity. And my frustration at the time with Ozil so he kept receiving the ball and then wanting three or four touches. And but then I, you know, I watched the highlights back, and again, he was just involved in everything, um, yeah. pretty much. I, I thought he was much, much better when he got close to Alexis out wide than he was in the centre. Um, and when um, when Welbeck was shaping up to come on, you know, we were speculating who might come off because you know there's there's not really a, a, an no. obvious defensive option to take off and I was you know said to the guys I sit with like I'm tempted to say that Ozil should come off but you fool yeah yeah but but I never want Ozil to come off even when I don't think he's playing well and the reason for that we saw in the 94th minute um, effectively because he is always capable of giving you a through ball or giving you something and actually he played a lot more of them than I thought you know that Mertesacker header he played yep. that one beautifully well as well. And um, the, the Giroud offside, I mean, it was yeah. the blink of an eye. Yeah, he, he had that over the top, you know, he had the measure of that. Yeah. That first time pass to Ramsey when, you know, Ramsey was in a foot race yeah. with Schmeichel, you know. And you yeah. look back on things like that and, you know, it's just like, yeah, those, 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 it feels like those were the only four or five decent things he really did in the game, but... Yeah, you know, they're big things and they matter. So they do. I wonder if he wasn't a bit tired, though. Yeah. Uh, and if he and if they didn't specifically target the fact that he dallies on the ball to to with a purpose, because mm. he ended up losing the ball ten times mm. and and uh, lost possession ten times. Don't know where I got that stat from, but I picked it up along the way, and it was definitely. It seemed like anywhere, any time he got near the centre, they were all over him. And he, his the pace he plays at, normally he can kind of dally his way around it. But I just wonder if he wasn't a little tired, but his brilliance shone through. Uh, yeah. His vision uh, didn't get tired, even if he's... Maybe he needs... You know, he won't play against Hull, you would expect. No. Maybe Maybe he needs this little raster now before... And Barcelona should be an exciting enough game. His adrenaline should be pumping. Hopefully that'll kind of breathe. Because he's, he's basically played every game this season so far. God bless him. Pretty much, anyway. I think yeah. he's missed one or two. Yeah. So. Yeah, he missed Newcastle because he was ill and they gave him yeah. Stoke off. And I think that's about it. Not yeah. played any part in the FA Cup. I don't expect him to even be on the bench on Saturday. I expect that to continue. So... Yeah, I mean, def- definitely, he definitely has cause to be a bit fatigued, and he did look it um, to me. There was a point with about five minutes to go where I think he lost the ball, and he kind of started huffing and puffing his way back, and Giroud, from about 20 yards behind him, just goes st- steaming past him to go and win the ball back. Um, yeah, and- that was a great moment for Giroud, and I think showed, 
his mentality because that was late in the game and showed his overall his kind of all-round contribution. I mean, he really put in a shift. All of, I mean, when you consider he's been banging up against the centre backs all game, he won every bloody header practically. Oh. Uh, that's not really an exaggeration, but only a slight one. He won every bloody header during that game. Um, I mean, yeah. fair, fair folks to him. We, get, we give him plenty of criticism along the way, but uh, I think he had a hell of a game yeah. against. Uh, a- absolutely, and, and it and it wasn't you know it was um, it was the sort of game I think like your big players play for you in terms of they recognise the importance and they just raise it that little one or two percent in terms of intensity because they recognise. You know, this, and this is something Giroud has got much, much better at in the last 18 months is, you know, his kind of record and his performances in these kind of bigger games is really, really getting much, much better now. Um, yeah. And that's as much uh, a, an element of him varying his play a little bit, but that's as much a mentality thing, I think, that's something that, that he's clearly worked on. And that's it's very difficult to work on something like that because it's very difficult to change the way you think and the way you're wired. Um, yep. That takes a lot of effort to do that. Um, and I guess one of the things we forget about Giroud is he's actually won a league title with a very unfancy yeah. side. So actually, he's, he's got a little, he's got some experience of, um, of a run-in as well. He's, you know, he has, he's got that t-shirt. So um, that could be very valuable because I, I expect him to start most games uh, yep. now. Until the end of the season. Yeah, I do too. Do you, so, when Welbeck's got played in a little bit, do you think he's going to be basically the right wing starter? I think he could well be. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah. Give it. Give it another month or so. Um, I think that could happen. And then because he because he gives you a bit of everything, doesn't he? Exactly. And he's such a handful. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think what what you'll have. It's kind of what we were seeing just before he got injured when Walcott was quite out of favour where Walcott got this kind of super sub um, yeah. role and, and Welbeck was starting games and then you bring on Walcott for the last 20 minutes or so. I, I think that eventually we'll probably see a bit of a reversion um, to that. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we've not really see, ever seen Welbeck and Bellerin together on the right, have we? That's, that's not really a thing Interesting. that's happened. Uh, I, I, Fascinate to see how that might work, if at all. Um, yeah, I, I, I imagine it might work quite nicely, um, actually, and actually give Welbeck the chance to go in field. Um, yeah, a little bit and kind of join Giroud. And just his ability to add to the press. I mean, Giroud is a good presser. Yeah. Um, Welbeck's a great presser. Sanchez is a great presser. Ramsey and Cochrane, you're going to have a front. Uh, five. I mean, Ozil's actually pretty clever about his pressing. He yeah. picks his moments. Yeah. You're going to have a front five or six. In fact, you often see Ozil getting frustrated with other people not doing about it. their yeah their lack of intelligence in it. I think he's just very picky. I mean, there are times when his body language is different, and maybe that's not the mode he's in. But I think it's a game in a game where we've decided. Pressing, counter-pressing is a tactic. Those are the ones he gets frustrated because the guys aren't switching on and off at the right times. And when you look at who are up against potentially Spurs, uh, well, not potentially, Spurs and 
what you know we're going to have to play uh teams like Swansea and then we're going to have to get results away from home against teams like United that ability to press and make opportunities and get position get possession mm. uh you could see why that front five or six I mean Cockland's just fucking ace at getting nipping in there getting the ball Ramsey's all energy in action uh, we might become one of the pressing teams of the Premier League, which I think has all frustrated us a little bit, how we suffer at it and how we haven't always taken advantage of it. But it will be interesting to see if this last quarter of the season is the one defined by us finding our pressing game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so in terms of the final result, um, not so much what do you think it does to Arsenal, what do you think it does to Leicester? I think they're okay. I think um I think what's his face? Uh who's the manager again? Ranieri. Shit. Ranieri. Um I think he handled it really well. I think he complained a bit about the results, but made out like it was no no real thing. I think they got a nice little break now. Uh I think their results I think they're pretty happy with the results they got um with City and in the last few games. Uh, I think they can put it down to a travesty of justice against them. So, uh, unfortunately, you wanted to come out of this weekend with two teams feeling good and two teams gutted. But I think, really, there's three teams feeling pretty good. They're still top of the league. They're fixture list. They got to look. However, they come out of that game, they they look at that fixture list and say, "Shit, it's all there for us." So. I think they come out of it okay. I think Spurs come out of it with the wind in their sails feeling fucking great, unfortunately. I think we'll feel really good. But I I think the the real thing I take out of those three teams and the thing that makes me feel better is you can't talk about Arsenal like you can talk about Spurs and Leicester where they've had the same team all year and it's not going to get any stronger. We've had... We're about to go into our third team. We had a team that looked fucking brilliant as it slowly built up in the first third of the season. One that's been holding on by its fingernails as our stats slowly drop in terms of contribution and opportunities and anything generated from midfield has just kind of gradually ground down. And now, if these guys stay fit, it's a whole new ball game. It's on, baby. And... You know, our our defence has been rock solid, I would say, given half a chance. Or, you know, as rock solid as a team who often plays a high line is ever going to be. Mm. Um, and when I look at our front five or six and the options off the bench, I'm like, this is a whole new arsenal that's not been factored in here. And if we go on a run, which we should, we can win the games that that when you look at our fixture lists on paper... You know, when I, when I look at it on paper, I ship myself, and then I say, "This is a different Arsenal team. Anything can and probably will happen here." Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, I, I read it slightly differently in terms of Leicester. I think. Um, yeah. I think this is very damaging um, for them. Good. I think, I good. Th- <laughs> I think. If I prefer. Did... I just want to say now, Tim. I prefer your reading of it. Now, go on. <laughs> I, I think if you'd have given them six points out of nine with the three games they've got, they'd, they'd have been well happy. And I think everyone would have said, yeah. wow, that's a really good return. Um, but to lose it in the last minute like that, I, 
I think. Mm. I think if we'd have just beaten them 2-1, I think it might have been a bit different. But I think to lose it like this is quite gutting um, yeah. for them. And it's the first time this season they've had a real knock to the confidence. Um, yeah. I think, you know, they're going to have Danny Simpson suspended, so they have to change that back four for at least a game. And, you know, as you said, I think F365 published something this week that was very revealing. They put you know, what their approximation of the spine of each of the top four um, was and how often they'd played together. And they had Leicester at 24, so every single game. They had Spurs yeah. 20, Arsenal 6, Manchester City 4. And that that's why the table looks as it does. Um, I actually think that Leicester's upcoming games, a lot of people are commenting on, you know, how quote-unquote simple they look. I think it's going to be challenging for them because I think they're going to play a lot of teams who are going to concede in theory and they're going to say, all right, you're a counter-attacking team. How about we don't yep. attack? And, you know, Leicester didn't beat Villa and they didn't beat Bournemouth over Christmas. We played like that. We sat back and just said, right, if you're going to counter-attack, we're just not even going to attack and then you can't hurt us. I think a lot of teams will do that to them now. Spurs, I think... Um, Spurs have impressed me a lot. This is not the flaky Tottenham of old, I think. They're not reliant on individuals. I think they're a very, very good team. They work very hard. I think the things we've got in our favour are the fact that Europa League's coming back. They're still in the FA Cup. They've been relying on a pretty small kind of set, section of players and they work very, very hard. Pochettino teams don't finish season strongly in general. Um, I think I wanted a draw out of Spurs Man City, but failing that Spurs win. And the reason for that is that I would still much rather chase Leicester and Spurs than I would Man City. I'll take the points cushion over Man City um, because I think if if they're taken, they're not out of the race by any means, but if they're taken away from the equation and it's us, Spurs and Leicester, we're the most experienced in that pack, and I think that counts for an awful lot. Um, I think that could really work in our favour. I mean, how many times have we chased teams like that for fourth and picked them? Because ultimately, we've got the nous to get over the line, and we've got better players. And I, I think that's still true now. Um, therefore, I would much rather chase those two than Manchester City. I'll take the points buffer over City at the moment. So. Yeah. It's all going to be very close and it's all going to be very exciting and I'm not writing any... any. I think the top four's done. I think it's going to be those four teams, which is incredible, really. Um, but I you know, I, I have more confidence of chasing those teams than I would Man City because Man City ultimately have got fabulous players and they've been there and done it. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think the title race took a big twist this weekend and certainly not an unfavourable one for us and hopefully it's like an economies of scale effect where we're as boosted as Leicester are downtrodden because we've been looking for this for a while for you know a set of jump cables for our season and yeah. as stressful as it was I think winning in the 94th minute is is the best way to do that I think if we'd have just gone out and beaten them 2-0 yeah Leicester might have been able Belief. to, yeah. Leicester might have been able to compartmentalise it and say, "Well, we had a bad day," and you know, 
even teams that win the league come here and lose and it's not a big problem and they'd have been right and they can still say that but I think it's different when it's in your grasp and taken away from you and I think it's the same in the other direction as well it's different when it looks like it's you know disappearing over the horizon and you haul it back in um, and I, I really really hope that that's just that's a real kickstart um, for us and, and I you know I think this is Leicester's this is the first time Leicester have been really really challenged by adversity this season and it'll be very interesting to see how they cope with it and in fairness to them they've coped with every other challenge thrown their way so they might just power on and get on with it like they have all season but I'll be interested to see their next two or three games see how they react yeah well I like your theory uh, somehow wishing Spurs into this position feels a little bit like juggling with gel ignite here so it is it but uh, I, I guess it's it's uh, you're damned if it's them, you're damned if it's City. I still still would have preferred the draw. Yeah, uh, I think that they would have both found that somewhat deflating. Those yeah. maybe Spurs not as much, but it is what it is. At the end of the day, it's this is going to be a league that somebody has to go out and win. Yeah. So the the challenge to us is the same either way. We we're either going to become the team we ought to become. Or we're going to get fucked along the way anyway. So, exactly, it is what it is. So we got uh, two two games coming up here. Two competitions: Hull City, Barcelona, FA Cup, Champions League. Mm. We probably don't have time to discuss both in any depth. Which one of those do you want to talk about? Well, Hull's the first one. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I expect. Um, Fairly, not quite a second string team, but you know some of the guys that were on the bench on Sunday. Yeah. I think you know Joel Campbell, Theo Walcott, Danny Welbeck as a front three. Alex Awobi, yep, Awobi behind as the them. ten. Yeah, yeah Flamini and uh, El Nenny behind them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, I that's think good. That's nicely balanced. Um, yeah, and then I think back four. Well, it'd be interesting because there's, there's yeah. quite a few. Injuries. Chambers has to play centre back and right wing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, it'd be interesting to see what we do there. I can't see us taking a risk with Kashelny, whether he's passed it or not. Um, it yeah. looks like Gibbs has picked up another knock, and that would be quite unfortunate yeah. because you know, yeah. ideally you'd want him to play and you'd trust him to play. Um, yeah. You know, Ospina will start, and then and then it's just a case of what state the other guys are in. We might have to go with Bellerin because Chambers is going to have to play centre half. So, um, yeah. you know, he, we he, might start Per. Yeah, yeah, I, I think he he's will, been yeah. rested for a couple of games. Exactly, I, I think he'll definitely start. We could go completely rogue and you know play Flamini at right back or something, but I don't see that yeah. um, in the start. So, I think it will be, um, you know. Not a reserve team by any means, but you know I, I wouldn't expect to see Urza even on the bench. Maybe not Ramsey either. Um, and then you know, but other than that, have a fairly kind of strong bench. Um, you know, perhaps keep Giroud there. Um, now we've got a bit more cover for his position if anything did happen. Um, Chamberlain yeah. on the bench. You know, who knows Alexis? Maybe just in case of emergency. So. You know, yeah. really, we ought to have enough to get through it. But you know, we've got that Barcelona game, and 
how much people have their eye on that. Um, maybe you negate that a bit by playing a team like that who you don't expect to play against Barcelona. Um, yeah. But it'll be it'll be an interesting challenge. And like like I said, um, after the Burnley game, I'd rather play a team at the bottom of the Premier League than top of the Championship um, in the FA Cup. Um, and Hull, Hull are going well. They're, they're flying high. Um, and so they're, yeah. they're, they're not going to be easy at all. Interesting. Good stuff. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, my uh, just hopping back to the game, my abiding moment is Ozil lining up that free kick on the 94th minute. He mumbles some kind... Well, some people think it's kind of a prayer. Mm. Um, but the that stone-cold blood running through his veins, that perfect chip in there onto Welbeck's head... To me, I hope that's our, the defining moment of our season going forward. And that's where the belief comes from going forward, that we could do that when we needed to. Uh, I guess that's, my, that's, that's what I want to take away from this game at the end of the day into the rest of the season. Hope the team does too. But, Tim, really appreciate your contribution today. Great okay. stuff as always. I guess we'll be talking after the whole game. Yep. Thanks, Tim. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.